This is Making Innovation Happen, a podcast by The Bakery, with Andrew Humphreys and Tom Salmon. Hi, my name's Andrew Humphreys. And I'm Tom Salmon. And we've just recorded a really cool interview with some amazing guests. So we've had uh, Scott Campbell from Deloitte Ventures and Amy Collins from an incredible company, a sort of scaling up early stage technology business called Signal. And uh, we've been really asking them to discuss some of our beliefs and mantras, things like starting with the problem. But in the conversation, we also talked about a number of our other mantras too. So yeah, they, they touched on quite a few other mantras that, and beliefs that we have, which are you know, alignment of incentives and creating a win-win thinking big starting small and how fast can be slow or maybe fast should work with slow so you know it's a really interesting discussion covers lots of different topics uh, we hope you enjoy it yeah let us know what you think cool so today uh, in our podcast we're joined by uh, uh, two guests and it's um, it's quite exciting it's the first group of guests that have come into uh, the bakery podcast so uh, we've 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 chosen uh, one person from quite a large organization and one person from a relatively you know uh, earlier stage business so um, I'm going to ask Amy Collins first of all to introduce herself sure so I'm VP of product at, uh, at Signal uh, we're an AI based startup that uses uh, AI to classify vast amounts of data to be able to give large businesses insight and information and make better decisions. Prior to that, I was working for Brandwatch, which is a social intelligence company, um, and I've spent you know many years basically building products in fast growth startups. And tell us a little bit about Signal, the business. Yeah, so we're a Series B company. Uh, we're about 100 people. Um, we're growing about uh, 150% year on year. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. Just everything's changing incredibly quickly. Um, but one of our core differentiators is that we we're, we are genuinely an AI-based startup. So a lot of companies kind of want to sprinkle the AI pixie dust on top of stuff afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, our two founders, one of them was you know a, a data scientist. And so it's, it's really very much in our lifeblood, really. We see it as a core differentiator. Terrific. And, uh, you know, almost other side of the spectrum, we're joined by Scott Campbell of Deloitte. So, Scott, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. So, uh, Scott Campbell, I lead a business called Deloitte Ventures, which is fascinating because it's helping companies understand how do you harness what's going on in the outside world, in a place where innovation happens much faster than inside corporate traditionally. Um, We do also do that for ourselves. And I'm passionate about European economies and fast-growing tech businesses and believe that if we can get big business and small startup to work together, then economies grow naturally. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, big business and, and smaller businesses working together is quite a challenge. You know, what, what kind of things have you learned about making that happen? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating thing often called David versus Goliath, right? I'm more of a believer it's fast versus, small, uh, fast versus slow rather than big versus small. And, and essentially it's a, a cultural problem. A big business is designed to do things at scale. Mm. A small, fast-growing business is designed to do things rapidly. Uh, Merging those two cultures together, often for the corporate, is about changing something about what they do rather than blaming the small, (laughs) fast-growing business for doing something wrong. Uh, And that is quite a hard thing in a corporate, to have that level of Mm. introspection and realization that actually we need to change something in Mm. order to harness that. And that's where we've been on our journey, understanding what we need to change and helping clients of ours understand what they need to change. 
And Amy, coming to you, you know, at, at Signal, although you're you know, well-funded, you've got a group of people, you know, you're growing quite rapidly. How important is working with larger businesses to the future of your organization? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question, actually. Um, we've, I mean, I, I sort of joke about what we've got is this sort of um, AI text analytics platform um, with, you know, machine learning and whatever that's basically got a comms product business grafted onto the top of it. Mm. And so most of our direct customers are buying PR and comms products. But the there is a sort of horizontal platform itself where we work with very large organizations, you know, such as Deloitte, to mm. basically be able to innovate on top of that. Um, and so it's definitely core to our strategy to have some of these this ecosystem of larger organizations that want to extract the sort of the knowledge and the insight that we can we can innovate um, mm. to be able to build products and services on top of that mm. um, and apply their own value stack basically and what what are some of the challenges of making those relationships work do you think well I mean yes it's certainly the David and Goliath thing I think in that um, you know we're a we're a small company, essentially, and you know we've got our roadmap, we've got a service, lots and lots of customers, and yet these larger organisations tend to have a list of very specific sets of demands or ideas um, that they have as to exactly how they'd like this thing to be to be built or configured. And so I think one of the dangers for a small company is that you can get tricked or trapped into the by stealth becoming a bespoke software shop mm. rather than a, a product company. Yeah, mm. and so I think. Therefore, our strategy is to sort of effectively build this API layer and then allow, you know, partners who have perhaps expertise in certain areas to build their own knowledge on top mm -hmm. of it. Um, and that sort of pushes away perhaps the bespoke requirements somewhat. But it's there's always this tension there between um, the sort of the big companies' deep pockets and, you know, myriad needs um, and the desire to do something at scale and programmatically. And have you been able to kind of marshal between those two demands or are there times when you feel that you might have been diverted off track and course to do things? This week? <laughs> or, um, no, no, seriously. Um, I think I think that's a, a like literally a constant dilemma, um, particularly for early stage businesses because, you know, you've got the, sort of the pure ideal of what you'd like to build and then of course you've got immediate opportunities that can help fund mm. your growth to go and build the thing you yeah. want to build and some of these opportunities will divert you off course a little bit and so the art of being you know ahead of product is to perhaps ascertain which of those are too opportunistic and which of those are you know they're ones actually that could conceivably perhaps if we just tilted them by five degrees help us on that journey um, I think part of that though is having conversations with you know the larger the larger customer the enterprise customer is saying look you don't want bespoke software because if we build bespoke software you're going to get marooned on a private mm, branch yeah. of the product and we're not going to maintain it and you know it's going to be very difficult for everybody what you want is standard requirements and standard product and usually you can use that as a way of negotiating out actually a more standard kind of outcome that enables you know both parties to kind of get you know, the bigger player to get access to the innovation and the smaller player to be able to take the customer on board and not get swamped by their requests. And Scott, how do you see this playing out and this opportunity for, for you and, you know, matching this kind of, you know, demand in the business? It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think we have exactly the same problem, which is uh, slightly from another angle, which is we too say, well, well, how do we focus on what's core to us and, and actually not be distracted by things that we used to do really well? 
you know, the concept of legacy in a big organization is a strange one because it's the strength you have today. Tomorrow will be your biggest weakness. And uh, our big decision in, a, in our own organization's Deloitte, which is filled with experts, is are we going to attempt to race against the machines or are we going to train the machines? Because you, well, you have experts in the business and you also have quite amazing capabilities to build stuff, right? So there must be a tension there to, why don't we just make some of these things? I think that's probably our most common phrase. Surely we could build this ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you know what? It's probably true. Yeah. Um, however, with the pace of change at the moment, you're making a significant bet if you're going to build something. Because the likelihood is by the time we've built it under corporate big business governance models and big business funding models and mm. bus big business decision timescales, it will likely be out of date. That's not something we've done wrong. It's just the nature of the market. So are we inadvertently being non-adaptable by building it ourselves? Possibly. I think uh, I am always overwhelmed by what a small, focused team can achieve outside of the constraints of corporate. Signal is a great example of someone who has achieved incredible things, which I genuinely believe we wouldn't actually be able to inside a big corporate. And that's because of the specific set of circumstances, incentives, and hunger that sits within that organization. So it comes back to um, actually a slight change in the premise of race the machines versus train them. Do I want to build the businesses or do I just want to harness them? Mm -hmm. And and that is a, a genuine mindset change for a big corporate who is used to owning assets. I was going to say, that's one of the biggest, you know, mentality changes and cultural shifts that large corporates have to go through, isn't it? I mean, because there's clearly some things that are important, you know, for, for large corporates to own and, and to take ownership of. But most, arguably, you know, uh, innovations or, or, or solutions to challenges or problems, you know, should arguably be better solved by, you know, companies like Signal and the like who have those incentives and perhaps don't have the same constrictions. How do you determine between what's the right thing to do one way and the right thing to do another way? It's a, that is a, a very big question. <laughs> and I don't want to give too much away to listeners, but uh, I think... Um, I think it was actually Malcolm Gladwell who wrote in one of his books about the story of David versus Goliath and that actually David was always predisposed to beat Goliath in the conditions. So what we try and do is look at the, what are the conditions of the field in which we're playing. If it is a scale, big relationship base with customers or clients, that's our field. Mm. If it is adaptability, speed of decision-making development, that is the playing field of fast-growing business and fast-growing ecosystems. We can't recreate that as much as we try. And so we have to admit to ourselves, which playing field are we on? Mm. Signal is an AI-first company playing on a very nimble playing field. Mm. As much as I'd like to be able to make Deloitte play on that playing field, it's almost futile. Mm. My, my answer is David and Goliath, not David versus Goliath. Mm. I think we also have the same the same problem kind of just zoomed out a bit more so I mean, you're having the same kind of tension about like buy versus build versus partner and you know we have exactly the same thing down in startup land where you know there's some new feature that we want to build in for our clients and we have to decide like actually shall we just take an off-the-shelf library for this thing or is this an opportunity for us to build unique valuable stuff and I think there's a lot of just like you said, I think I've, I must have heard engineers say this many, many, many times. I'm surely we can build this, and it's 
there's there's definitely a real um, art form in understanding the battles that you want to pick. And it's I think it's really about understanding that if we do this thing, are we just matching what's basically already out there or are we creating net new, unique differentiation for us? And those are the ones that I'd rather pour our innovation into versus going and taking something that I could just buy as an API or or you know, taken off the shelf library. And I think, you know, some of the things you touched on in there is, you know, again, we we talk a lot about this sort of alignment of incentives and creating win-wins between the smaller company and the big company. And I think that's this David and Goliath approach. But how do you really, you know, you know, we we have some processes that we help people uncover what they really want to get out of it and, you know, what are the ambitions of a company like Signal? What are the ambitions of someone like Deloitte and what creates value? But how do you do that in practice on a day-to-day basis and make sure that your, you know, your your paths are, you know, joined and you're going in the same direction? I think um, we love the trappings of big business, of governance, of process. This is a very human problem. It starts with the mindset. And if you don't have the mindset of working together, then it's never going to work. You can't force it. I, I think um, I am a true, true believer that you do have to change something about your organization and yourself personally to be able to accept innovation from the outside world and work with companies like Signal because uh, we are obsessed with bespoke, as, as Amy has said. We, and I have seen examples of small, fast-growing startups that we've worked with who have seen us as a goldmine, and that could be true. We are also... A potential threat mm. and I've seen organizations build highly bespoke products software packages just for us and then expected to be able to sell it to the rest yeah. of the market it turns out that isn't right it just doesn't work it just doesn't work fantastic for us but also not because that like you said what all they're going to do is mm. increase the price to support that and that's not great for us so it's a, it's a we have to change about ourselves to be able to accept platform-based or stuff that we can configure on top of whereas the opposite is we want i want this this button blue Mm. and we get into arguments about colors of buttons whereas actually it should be about what can we achieve what problem can we solve Mm. using this software because it's quite interesting we're an interesting point in time at the moment where large organizations who have historically you know held you know, sway in terms of power over their developers or their agencies or the big organizations who are designed to build things, you know, for large companies. And indeed, you know, as you as we've said, Deloitte have that capability internally as well. So it's not just external teams, it's sometimes internal teams building product. And then arguably, again, this sort of new world where there's millions of startups all around the world who probably have you know the right solution or a better a better solution, um, but it comes at a price, doesn't it? It comes at a a, a a price of not having control, not having as much power, not having you know the the whip hand in in the same way. And is that do you think the mentality shift that needs to occur for corporates to be able to you know innovate faster? I suppose. I think actually, uh, Charles Darwin put it best, which is. Strength and intelligence are no indication of a survival of a species, Hmm. only adaptability. To be an adaptable organization, you have to be able to harness the power of 
of innovation and disruption from outside your walls. You also need to be able to build internally. The answer isn't one versus the other. Mm -hmm. The answer is uh, to be able to evolve. And actually that evolution is now happening at a pace which is very uncomfortable for large organizations. Mm. And I truly don't believe it's large versus small. I think it is fast versus slow. So big organizations that can move quickly, absolutely agree, can take this pace of change. Now, the mentality to do that means you have to dissolve policies which aren't right, governance levels which aren't mm. correct, processes which don't adapt. You need to be able to change people's mindsets to an adaptable mindset to work with Amy and to work with others outside of our walls. Um, a, a monumental task to change a business from strength and intelligence being the strength to adaptability being the strength. Mm. And I, I think, you know, I've heard you talk about this a little bit before about, uh, uh, you know, this concept that, you know, in well-managed businesses, risk is managed out and the governance and processes are put there to get rid of risk, which is great. Obviously, you don't want lots of risk in business, but in order to be an innovative business, you you need to take some risk. And then what people have been doing is, you know, instigating a innovation director or department, which is, you know, one, it's a starting point for a solution, but you've got some views on that, I think, as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah do You have to do different tactics to be able to, to be successful in this space. Uh, it is a journey as much as that's a overused phrase. And sometimes that starts with a, a head of innovation or a, an innovation lab or um, you know, a, a trip to Silicon Valley for the executive or something like that. And I think you just have to be careful that those aren't the tactics that are going to make you successful. The change, as I said, is how do you make yourself more adaptable rather than how do you sprinkle the trappings of, of innovation across your business and fingers crossed and hope for the best. If you change nothing, nothing will change. And I think that is a mantra I, uh, most execs do realize now. Hmm. I think there's also, there's, there's you know, a clear downside to the whole head of innovation and innovation lab, which is it's, it's definitely creating a box and saying that innovation happens in here and all of you people out there, yeah. you're, just, you're just doing the business as usual hmm. stuff. And I think probably there's inspiring a culture of genuine innovation across the company and also helping educate people on what innovation actually means. So, you know, clearly we like to think of innovation as being some AI-powered iPad app that's a self-driving, you know, thing or whatever. But actually, you know, new business models to so the finance team can be innovating and, you know, maybe people who are working in customer success can come up with innovations for the business that are around new ways of engaging with the client that will give them some piece of value that they otherwise wanted. So I think I think if you were, there was to be head of innovation, I almost see their job not so much to be the governor of all of innovation, but to be a sort of roving priest, sort of helping, you know, bless people in the, you know, and, and teach them how to, how to be innovators rather than to control the innovation centrally themselves. I love that analogy. I was going to say, great. I love that yeah, concept. It's really of great. <laughs> a roving innovate. priest. <laughs> well, I think about it quite a lot because yeah. um, actually one of the, our... Uh, head of engineering and myself, we're sort of debating really what our role should be in this this organisation because we believe very much in sort of the opinionation, opinions and collaboration of the team, highly empowered engineers, highly empowered product people. And so the question is, is my job to be the product governor, the person that's the gatekeeper and the controller of all sort of roadmap and decision making? Or should I be like a sort of, again, this same sort of like a roving storyteller, you know, yeah. sort of person whose job it is to try and help 
sort of sprinkle product thinking across the company. I mean, I mean, is the danger in your role that you're just the person that keeps saying no to people? And <laughs> well, I've certainly been there yeah. in the past, and it's not actually like I think one of the great things about you know life is you can reinvent yourself, and I think this talks to what you're saying mm. is you know I've certainly tried to 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 be the the the, the preventer of change in the past or preventer of people mm. deviating from the roadmap. Um, and one of this, these conversations we're having at Signal actually is about fundamentally, actually, if you create an organization where everybody truly understands the purpose of the organization and they understand, you know, what we're trying to achieve and why we're trying to achieve it, then when a decision point comes up, rather than coming to the the one person with the authority stick to say, no, you're not authorized to do that thing, everyone mm. can actually have a conversation together to say, well, is this the right thing for Signal or not? And actually, well, this does take us closer to our our goal or our OKR that we, we want to achieve. Um, so I think possibly being the, the gatekeeper is perhaps the old world of, of, of managing product, maybe. And and just to, to build on that, I think if I talk about adaptability in an organization, I love the phrase you just used, which was laser laser focus on the purpose. Right. And all purpose really is is a focus on the challenge or problem. If I go back to Charles Darwin, the nature of species is to focus on survival. Yeah. Right? That's the problem they're solving. And that adaptation is to solve that problem. Uh, I, I see companies who who are adaptable and what they have is an absolute focus on the problem they're solving. Mm. The danger with heads of innovation, and I completely agree, it's almost outsourcing the problem to someone else. Delegating the problem. Exactly. It's now not your, when you have a head of innovation, it's no longer the problem of the executive. It's that person there who just gets emailed everything about innovation ever. And um, if I look at what makes it adaptable is you focus on problems you solve. You suddenly don't focus on technology trends or or AI or buzzwords mm, like blockchain mm. you focus on solving that problem and actually if you start with that people rally behind it there's a huge correct groundswell about purpose-led investing mm. at the moment and purpose and sustainable development goals and all that really is is us saying as an as a world we're going to focus on the big problems and businesses need to learn a lesson from that. If you focus on the big problems, you can be adaptable underneath. Mm. If you focus on technologies, you will always lose your way. If you focus on problems, you will always be adaptable. That's really fascinating as well, Mm. isn't it? Yeah. I think it comes back to the purpose of this, you know, uh, this whole thing is, you know, starting with technology is not going to get you very far. Starting with the challenge or the problem or the thing that you're trying to solve is really where, you know, innovation really needs to come from. And I think... Again, I think that when you're, you, you know, you look at the the world of technology, you see these trends coming, and mm. people panic and think we've got to jump on this new thing without then like really understanding why or for what reason, and and that's where people end up going down blind alleys and ending up in the wrong place or not, you know, creating the right things because they haven't, as you've just talked about, started with well, what's the real purpose? What we were trying to achieve here, and therefore. What is the right technology to mm. use to do that? And is it a technology solution or is it a process or is it something else? But yeah, it's a really interesting... You've got to be quite bold though to do that because mm. of course when, when I mean, hypothetically speaking, if all of your customers out there are hearing from everybody else out there that the next thing is blockchain and yeah. mm. you'd be insane to buy a you know a car without blockchain in it now. Yeah. And you know, like... The tires are made of blockchain. Yeah. The windscreen's made of blockchain. <laughs> like, and 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 if they're hearing that from all of your competitors, yeah. it, it takes a brave person to actually sit down with a customer. You know, rather than just slap some blockchain in yourself, it <laughs> takes a brave person to actually sit down and say, "But what what problem are you actually trying mm. to solve?" And 
you know, we believe the solution is is A, B, and C. And to actually perhaps retell the story behind the purpose and the vision and the thing, rather than knee-jerk responding with add more blockchain. Mm. So it, it does take bravery when you've got immediate commercial pressures and yeah. you appear to be being out-marketed by the the blockchain pixie dust yeah. marketing. Well, and um, someone on the board saying, why, why aren't we doing stuff with blockchain? Or, yeah. you know, like, what's our blockchain strategy? You know, there's <laughs> there was a running joke for a while that, you know, every trend had a... Someone created a website that's, you know, what's our blockchain strategy? What's our VR strategy? What's our... <laughs> Um, you know, because you just have to jump on those things and have a strategy to tell people that that's what we're doing. But that isn't really going to get you to the end result. There's an interesting tension between like vertical solutions and horizontal solutions as well. Because like I think if you're a very horizontally fo- vertically focused organization, then you tend to naturally cluster onto a market problem because you know you're we're building you know a product for PR and comms right now. And I think that what that means is we're not necessarily looking for broad, horizontal kind of solutions to just like chuck in there for the sake of it. Ultimately, it's really about the jobs to be done that these professionals have and how we can help sort of empower them to do that. Um, I met with a, a customer recently and they were saying, well, there's this very necessary part of the job, which is kind of counting the number of mentions they've got. And it's it's quite mundane work. And Rather than, we weren't, no, nobody's trying to dismiss the premise of this particular activity, but he was saying, actually, I want to try and cut that down from two hours a day to five minutes a day so they can be doing more strategic stuff. And I think what these conversations give you is a immediate focus on this job that they're doing. And when you focus on that, you actually get, you know, you, you build solutions that, that cater to the, the need rather than just how can we stick some blockchain in. Mm. And when you, encounter an organization like a Deloitte and how does that engagement start for for you and how do you approach those things? Cracky, that's a big question. Um, I suppose it depends on how we, how we discover the opportunity. Mm. Um, But typically we've got, and we've, we've got a, we've got two, two different sales organizations. We've got the sales organization that's sort of selling our core product and we've got a sales organization that's sort of going out, a consulting organization basically that's taking our core platform sort of unmodified and then talking to these other organizations with aspirations to use our technologies to do other things. And so I think one of the things we were talking about before was like, you know, how does Deloitte know whether to um, build this stuff themselves or not? And I think it's all about knowing where you add your value. So like ultimately Deloitte's got like the world's best tax advisors, for example. And if it were me over at Deloitte, I'd be saying, well, actually what we need to be doing is taking a platform like Signals and saying, Let's now um, use all of our internal engineering resource to basically plug in that world's leading tax expertise rather than trying to sort of build the whole ground up again. Mm. And so a lot of our conversations are like, we've got this technology. How can we bring your expertise into the platform to help basically enable you to build a product that you can take to market? The way that sometimes manifests itself, of course, is you've got to have conversations that perhaps go beyond our own business into into the bigger company's business model because mm. ultimately I, you know we're supplying like sort of eggs milk flour water and sugar and we've got to say look are you guys trying to make you know a cake or are you trying to make bread and if you are trying to make a cake who's who's actually going to buy this cake and you know who's going to who's going to mix mm. it all up or whatever mm. and so it, you do have to have conversations with the big companies about what what product they want to build on top of the platform but but typically i think the blend the conversation should be about how can you bring your expertise and your competitive differentiation and, and leverage ours as well? And, and just to highlight the the mindset change that has to happen, because for transparency, we have been on that 
journey for two years with Signal. And um, we, our business model and our senior partners come from an age where knowledge and data were scarce. And their 30 years of expertise gained over a career is that strength. In a world of scarce data and knowledge, that is the strong model. Mm. In a world where data and knowledge is abundant, that's that's no longer a, the strongest model. And actually, we're trying to convince people who have survived for 30 years on your career where they were the smartest person in the room that had the most knowledge, that actually they have to let go of that. And and the truth is, they're also the decision makers. Mm. So the mindset shift has to be, what, what I've done today is not what's going to happen in the future. And actually, I need to solve the problem, which is give the right advice to our clients. And I now do that by harnessing the abundance and by training the machine and helping the machine learn how to do that, getting what's 30 years in my head out. Mm. If you start with the problem, which is still the same, you can do that. I just wanted to touch on that start with the problem theme as well, which is how impactful that is for an economy. So now we're seeing uh, an increase in innovation, still at a hell of a pace in the market. We're seeing a disconnect between the increase in innovation and productivity. Probably for the first time ever, arguably some economists disagree with that, that has happened before. And that's because we are a faddic society and we focus on technologies rather than solving mm. big problems. So the, the computational power in my uh, smartphone is incredible compared to what it was 10 years ago, but that's being used to make an animated emoji of my face <laughs> rather than solve my chief economist at, at Deloitte and Stuart, fantastic guy, says when, when we see a new uh, smartphone release with the new technology, he says, well, what, what made more of an impact to our society, the invention of the toilet and the sanitary system or this emoji on mm. my phone? And I think that's because sometimes you forget what the problem is. And actually, if you use that to solve a problem, it's fantastic. And lots of people do. But unfortunately, we are very faddic. So focusing on AI sometimes gets the outcome of, well, I can make a, an animated emoji mm. of my face. And you, you at Signal must get people who, well, do you get corporates or companies that come and that they've heard about AI and they just want to engage with you because you've got an AI solution? and they want that magic dust, and you have to kind of really out what it is they want to achieve with it. That certainly does happen. Um, certainly you get sort of people, <laughs> these heads of innovation we've talked about, and it's like, yep, I want to do something with AI, and it should be cool, and it should be you guys. I think the debate actually we have more often actually is with some of our competitors who've, who've done this act of sprinkling some AI, either just at a marketing layer or a very basic technical layer, into their product, versus, you know, have actually identified market problems to solve and have done those, you know, baked in AI at its core to go and solve this. And so we classify millions of documents using AI, build these, you know, the huge library of topics so that we're able to classify and add structure and meaning to all of this data. Um, and that's, you know, massively expensive and complex IP to build versus just adding the with AI button. And so you've sort of got to actually perhaps reset expectations and overcome the hype cycle that a lot of customers have now heard and actually say, no, that this thing is real. It, like, it really does make a difference and it's going to make you quicker and smarter and it's going to minimise the amount of time you spend on this stuff. Um, so I, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing. It's been great getting your insights today. Thanks so much. We're going to finish just by asking for one piece of advice. If you were talking to somebody in a corporate, somebody in a startup, you know, what would be the biggest piece of advice you'd give, given the learnings that you've had, given the journeys that you've been on as, as both large organizations and relatively small organizations. Scott. 
again, a very big question, but I think um, I would I would choose that adaptability point and you have to change something. So recognition that harnessing stuff outside of your walls is probably the most important thing you can do in the current climate. Uh, literally for every bright idea you have internally, there will be 25 externally. Mm. And that is a fact. It is not a, it is not a, an opinion. So how do you harness those? And I think, um, I would say focusing on that problem, focusing on the problem that you face in the market and staying true to that is a good first step, but you very quickly get to a point where um, we got to this place with working with signal, which is trying to then capitalize and scale that breaks about just about every operating model point mm. we have. And that needs to change. Mm. Innovation is about how you adapt your core business to cope with the pace of change. It is not about heads of innovation. It is not about sprinkling AI and it's not about labs. Always focus on how you make your core more adaptable. Great. Amy? I suppose I'd pick up another theme that we've been talking about, which is about the, the market problem. Um, and there's a sort of mantra in product management, which is only solve market problems that are urgent, pervasive, and people are willing to pay for. And, you know, sometimes, of course, it's it's interesting that you, you choose not to obey that rule and you end up building a new market and you're having to educate customers that they need your product or whatever else. And it's a very, very difficult problem uh, to solve. So I guess my advice would be, like, stick to that mantra only solve problems that are urgent pervasive and people are willing to pay for because you've got budget cycles that are available you've got competitors you can go after you've got buyer personas you've got you know actual urgent need in the market that you can go and solve and you can build a great product your customers will love that's fantastic thanks very much it's been yeah, great having you here and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon thank, thank you. you you've been listening to making innovation happen by the bakery hosted by Andrew Humphreys and Tom Salmon and produced by Vita and 1618 Digital. To be the first to hear about future episodes, you can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Or for more information and extra content, check out the show notes or visit thebakery.com. Thanks for listening.